On today's trial run podcast, stop me if you've heard this before, but Antonio Brown is making headlines. Dolphins players want out of Miami. Pistons get ISO Joe Johnson. Team USA taking fat L's. And California legislator bringing us one step closer to getting NCAA football back. On today's episode of the trial run podcast, you're going to hear it all. Let's go. podcast making universe it's not so often that we do this podcast only once a week you'd think our our content would vary week by week and change a lot given that there's a, a significant amount of time between each podcast but back in the news today antonio brown we've beaten it to death but it's still in the in the forefront of sports news all over the place sexual assault allegations now for your boy your central michigan university alum what is he doing with his life, and why can't he get out of the news and get out of my face? I'm, I'm begging you, Antonio Brown, please just leave it alone. The man's a psychopath. I mean, this one kind of isn't his fault, maybe. If, if he obviously, if he, easy, yeah, on obvious, that. easy on well, that. To preface, I'm not leaning one way or the other. I'm just saying, if he's guilty, obviously it's if it's it's his fault. But this story, at least, wasn't introduced by him. So you can you can take that as it is, but the fact remains that Antonio Brown's a psychopath. He's crazy whether or not he's guilty, and if he is guilty, not only is he a psychopath, he's also a criminal and a horrible human being. Well, let's you know, let's easy on that. Also, I want to go. I want to sit right on top of the fence here. I want to say, okay, I'm not willing to go all the way there on Antonio Brown yet because while he is crazy, I don't want to call him a horrible human being. I'm saying if he's guilty, he's without yes, guilty. without knowing whether or not he's guilty. Right. No, I agree. Completely. And this is it's important. He's not going to be guilty of anything because it's a civil suit. She's suing. Uh, the woman, if you haven't heard, a woman, actually a, another Central Michigan University gymnast is suing Antonio Brown, a civil suit, uh, alleging sexual assault and everything. Uh, you know, you've heard, you've heard stuff like that in the news all over the place nowadays, and that's just another another example of it. Yeah, suing for, I believe it was $100,000 in restitution, and that's that's not something that Antonio Brown's going to be guilty of. He may pay the $100,000 to make this thing go away, but it doesn't prove he's guilty of anything, so... I want to pump the brakes on calling him a horrible human being. It, it is interesting. Well, okay, but my point being is if he actually has committed the act, he's a horrible human being. That's all I meant by that. But it is interesting to know that he's being sued in a civil case and he's not being charged with a criminal offense. I just find it interesting that that's the way this, this woman chose to approach this situation. You seem to be beating around the bush, so allow me to make it crystal clear for you. Brennan thinks... I'm not, I don't think anything. I just, I'm speculating. It's pure speculation. It's speculation that it's it's potentially a little bit more less. How do I want to put this diplomatically? I want, I want to put this in a way that's not going to make anybody angry, but still gets the point across. If somebody wanted to put somebody away for sexual assault, the way to do so is not by filing a civil suit. It'd be by pressing criminal charges, which this woman has chosen not to do. So all I'm saying, I, I want to put this out right now, that if she was really serious about getting him out of her life, she wouldn't just be asking for money. She'd be asking for much more than that. But that's neither here nor there. Oh, no, that's here. That's something <laughs> I want to talk about, and that's here. Is he going to play this Sunday? Because after all he's been through and after everything that's happening right now, uh, he got off the commissioner's exempt list or he evaded the co commissioner's exempt list. So he is eligible to play this week. Belichick has played it really close to the vest. So I'm not entirely sure what to expect this weekend, but... 
if he plays, he's going to have an impact, and we're going to be we're going to be forced to see this guy. And I know a lot of people are not going to like that very much. I've heard just like every other part of this Antonio Brown story. I've heard back and forth reports. I've heard people saying, "Oh yeah, he's for sure not going to play this week," and then other people being like. Yeah, no, he might play. Adam Schefter is even divided. He really doesn't know what's going to happen. But if I'm the Patriots personally, I'm going to play him, but cautiously so. At, I'm not going to ever come out and say that I'm going to play him before Sunday, but if nothing else has developed in this story by Sunday, I'm rolling him out there, seeing what he can do. Because you took a risk on this guy in the first place, and you know what you were getting yourself into. Obviously, to this extent, with a sexual assault case, it's heightened. But he's not, he's not charged of anything yet. He's not, no, nothing has proceeded in the case. So at this moment, I'm, I'm playing him if I'm the Patriots. He's one of the best receivers in the NFL. This is lost in the shuffle of everything that's happened with Antonio Brown and all the news that's come about. Is he healthy? Are his feet like that? Is a, that is a real <laughs> everybody, question. Everybody saw the, the pictures of his feet, his disgusting freezer burnt feet that got burned in a cryo chamber, frostbitten, or whatever it was. But is he actually healthy? Is he 100% healthy? Is he back to what he was? Because people were talking about that potentially being a month-long, couple-month-long thing, and that was just during Hard Knocks, which was last month. And as we've seen as a consistent theme on this show, if Antonio Brown ends up playing terribly or even not up to his usual standards, are the Patriots going to eventually just throw him to the side? No. Are you kidding me? I mean, we've seen it with other players, players who are more more damaged than they are helpful to the team. And what I mean by that is they bring more baggage from off the field than what they can produce on the field. I think... And Antonio Brown's price, I'm just saying, is he has to be week in and week out a top five receiver for his baggage off the field to, to balance out with what he's doing. I mean, it's a one-year contract, so overall this is a pretty low-risk, high-reward uh proposition for the Patriots what I, I don't know what I mean by that is if Antonio Brown isn't fully healthy and that's displayed week one do the Patriots say okay let's see where this case goes and then obviously they wouldn't say it like that to the public they'd just say oh health concerns and this case we're going to kind of sit him out but I guarantee this if that Patriots do play him and he's stellar and nothing else develops in this case they're going to keep playing him but if he's not as stellar, they might find an excuse to, to sit him out. This seems like reckless speculation to me on your part. I think I'm making a very valid point here. Is this qualifying Antonio Brown? Is everything that's happened throughout these last couple of weeks? I know we want to respect the legends in the, in the diva game, but does this make Antonio Brown the biggest diva? I know it's easy to get caught up in the moment and everything that's happening right now. We're seeing it live, so we didn't really get the, the privilege of seeing guys like it. Uh, Terrell Owens or anybody in their prime when they were when they were doing this. So is AB the biggest diva in your opinion? He's the at least the worst diva that I've seen in all of sports, not just football, in all of sports. I've never seen a player act like this. He literally celebrated and shouted for joy when he got released from the, the Raiders, which is kind of ridiculous. Uh, and everything that's just come along that Whenever you think the story has reached its peak, another element has been layered onto it. It's this, crazy. This is the craziest sports story I've seen in my lifetime, and that's I'm not going to pump the brakes on that. I want to tell you that outright. The levels to this that have continued to build and build and build and build and build to the point where I barely even remember how the story started. Cra- craziest non 
non-sports sports story, if you follow me there. Yeah, I feel you. I mean, yeah, it literally has nothing to do with his on-field performance right. at all. So, craziest off-the-field craziest off-the-field story I've ever heard. Correct me if I'm wrong, but the timeline goes essentially cryo-burn feet, helmet concerns, and then where did it go from well, there? Well, we, we had the whole uh, Steelers fiasco, too. Steelers fiasco to start. Yeah, you're 100% right. Steelers fiasco to start, cryo-burn feet, Helmet part one, then I think it went helmet part two, Mike Mayock beef, released by the Raiders, sexual signed by the Patriots, and then sexual assault allegations. Is that the correct time time frame there? Yeah, really just your typical NFL lawsuit. Yeah, just a day in the a day in the life of Antonio Brown. One in Rome. Staying in the AFC East, uh, we just talked about the Patriots, one of the most successful franchises in the history of the world. And now we want to talk about one of the least successful franchises in the history of this, <laughs> hey, of this decade at the hey, very least. Yeah, Dan Marino. So not the not the world. In the Miami Dolphins. We're talking about the Miami Dolphins if you haven't figured you, that if out If you already. didn't get that. Yeah, if you didn't get that out. After giving up 59 points to the, the Ravens and uh, a running back playing quarterback last week, many players, including Minka Fitzpatrick, which is probably the, the biggest name on that, or in this story, rather. Minka Fitzpatrick, among others, want out of uh, – Miami apparently and they I believe the Dolphins have told Nick Fitzpatrick that he is able to try to manipulate a trade if he's able or if he can and if they if they can get them something or get them something in return that they'll deal him wherever they want him to go or wherever he wants to go so this is just another wild story that's the Dolphins are literally so bad that players are begging to get out of there and I've never seen anything like that even with the 0-16 Lions in 2008. When I first heard this story I was not sympathetic towards the Dolphins player simply because I am of, of the opinion that you stick with your team no matter what. You've signed a contract and you need to fulfill that contract. I think Antonio Brown should take note of that just to put that back on the record. But the, what I'm saying is I think that these players have a duty to the Dolphins organization no matter how bad they are. However, the more I've been thinking about this, I've been recalling that in this past offseason, there's been a lot of speculation internally within the Dolphins organization that they are intentionally, maybe not intentionally trying to lose, but... They're tanking. Let's just say it. They're not going out of their way to win games. Let's call a spade a spade. They're tanking. So if that is the case, I am much more sympathetic to Dolphins players who are requesting trades and trying to get out of that Dolphins organization because as much as we look at NFL players and say, oh, they're all just about the money. Players want to win. They deep down, they want to win games. And if you're with an organization that's basically come out and said, we're not planning on winning this year. We're all about tanking for the future. It's a different scenario, in my opinion. I I completely understand where some players are coming from wanting to leave and and wanting to actually go to a team that's going to try to win. It's hard asking players to be loyal to an organization that's not loyal to winning. Right. If you're not doing – if the organization itself is not doing its due diligence to win, then why are you asking the players to go out there, sacrifice their bodies and the primes of their careers for a non-winning operation? There's a difference between – we're trying to win, but we just suck and aren't able to, and we're intentionally trying to not win for the future. Those are two completely different things, in my opinion. We've seen this before. We've seen tanking in the NBA, most notably with the 76ers. 
kind of sort of working out for them. How do you think that tanking in general could potentially work in the NFL? Because I don't think it's as easy as the NBA where you only have 13, 14, 15 guys on a roster and one player can make a gigantic difference tanking and getting, you know, a big draft pick or, or such 53 guys on a roster. It's hard to just tank, get one guy and then be better all of a sudden if that's the route that they're going. Well, it is not probably as helpful to tank in the NFL, but it almost certainly is easier simply because the NFL doesn't have to deal with the draft lottery. So you can easily lose all of your games if you really try to, and you're going to get the number one pick. Yeah, that's true, but... But you're right. Your your point stands that is one player really going to make that big of a difference? And who are they tanking? Like, what's the the outcome? I've heard reports that they're tanking for Tua, but, like, Tua's not that valuable. Like, come on. Like, he's good... But we've never seen him outside of an Alabama offense, and there is something to be said about playing with that caliber of talent in college football. And even if he is all that we think he is, he's not that valuable. The Dolphins are still a mess all over the place. Oh, so. I, I really want this to just be a freezing cold take down the line. I want to save this this episode right here. You think Tua is going to save the Dolphins? Put a gold star against it. I just... Just I, Tua? I don't want to doubt. Quarterbacks, that's the one position that can make a big difference. No, no, it can. Instantly. It can, but I don't know. The Dolphins... Can you agree with me that the Dolphins are a mess? Yeah, they're a mess. They're not a good franchise. So currently. so maybe if they tank and then, you know, get some big free uh, free agency, you know, acquire... Signings, you're yeah. Right, and then, then they have a good second, third, fourth round in their draft as well and get Tua... It's a different scenario, but I'm saying just Tua himself, I don't think he makes that big of a difference. He might give you a couple more wins, but I don't know. So individually, you think he can give you a couple more wins? If if you put <laughs> this team in a vacuum with nothing else and then you add Tua, yeah, he gives you like two or three more wins in my opinion. What if the Dolphins this year are a six-win team and the two or three wins that Tua could give them would make them a playoff team? Well, in if, this in this vacuum that you're talking about. If they're trying to tank for Tua, they're not going to have six wins, so it's irrelevant. Awkward segue, awkward transition. Let's talk about fantasy football for a hot minute. I'd love to. We just had our, our first week of our money league. We got a big 12-team league. My friends, your friends, everybody's friends. We're all in this league together, 12 12-team league. We got money on the table. How'd you do week one? 1-0 one oh in that league. I'm 1-0, baby. We're both 1-0, oh, your boys, respectively, 1-0 oh in our league. Uh, you I know, may be 0-1 oh in the other two leagues, but that's not yeah, that, that there. So. Yeah, we're talking about our money league. This is the one that we take seriously. Those ones, those ones, they, they ain't the real deal. No, they're really not. Who was popping off this week that you loved? Who's popping off this week? I'll tell Who, you who's, who's popping off last week, and that could potentially translate into this week. Ooh, well, those are two different questions. I'll say for that second part, who popped off this week that could pop off next week, Austin Eckler has answered a lot of people's questions about the Chargers running back situation. I think he performed really admirably. I think you couldn't argue otherwise in the absence of Melvin Gordon. I think he's second in fantasy running back points, which is impressive to say the least so it looks like the Chargers should be fine uh in terms of people who have had a great week one but i'm still hesitant on for the future i'd put uh marquise hollywood brown in that category yeah he had two catches for two touchdowns and a million yards so. right right yeah so like two or three catches he had a over 100 yards receiving and two touchdowns but that really just shows that he could be more of a boomer bust type of guy it just depends on if he gets those high high percentage uh, looks, those those big yardage plays. 
and also you have to consider that he's a rookie, so you never really know what you're going to get week to week with a rookie. Uh, and then I will say one player who disappointed me, and obviously it's week one, so take it as you will, but Devontae Adams really... You're had, telling me I had him on my team. Right. Devontae Adams really had a poor showing, and obviously he's going to improve because the Packers don't have a lot of receiving uh, receiving talent on that roster. But I'm just worried that he's not going to be the huge fantasy target that everyone thought he was going to be coming into this year. Yeah, big. Uh, there's just a lot of a lot of rookies that I'm looking at to make an instant impact. I know you mentioned David Montgomery last week. He Amen a, to that. Yeah, he had a, uh, a little My bit, a little bit of an underwhelming showing in Week One. Guys like Devin Singletary out of FAU. I don't think he's a rookie, but he's a guy that they're looking to put up big numbers in Buffalo potentially. He going could, forward. he could too, because he's basically the lone back there. I mean, they have T.J. Eldon and Frank Gore, but T.J. Eldon is just not good, and Frank Gore is an old man. So, yeah. and we've seen one guy that popped off on my roster last week actually, Mark Andrews. I don't know if you remember him out of Oklahoma. He played with Baker Mayfield, and he got kind of lost in that that plethora of weapons that they had there at the time. But he was a very stellar player in his own right when he was at Oklahoma. And last week put up 20-plus points as a tight end. Very uh, strong showing from him. Disappointment last week for me. Oh, boy. That's tough. On my roster, I'd have to say probably somebody like Cam Newton on my one league. Very poor performance on him. And another poor performance today also, or yesterday during Thursday Night Football also. Yep. What That kind of begs the question, what is wrong with Cam? Because he has not looked – I don't think he's thrown a touchdown in like four games. He or, hasn't. It's Yeah, it's been a very brutal showing for him. He hasn't been able to throw the ball downfield. There's lots of stuff going on with him. you got to think lingering injuries, something like that, because he's getting knocked around quite a bit playing behind a, sh- a shardy O-line. <laughs> he has he has some solid talent around him too, though, which is why it's interesting. I mean, it's Christian McCaffrey and Curtis Samuel and some other guys. Not a whole lot of that matters with an offensive line. Though. That's true. So you really – you, you alluded to it earlier. Maybe it does have to do with the injuries he sustained throughout his career because he has gotten hit a lot, and eventually that's going to catch up to you. So I guess we'll see where that goes. This begs the question. I want to cite my sources here. I heard this on the Will Kane show today on ESPN Radio. Is Cam Newton going to be an Andrew Luck type? Is he going to be an early retirement guy? Because he can't take this level of hits. He's taken more hits than, than Andrew Luck has over the last couple of years. And Andrew Luck, you saw him. He's a grown man. He quivered in his own body and then ended up quitting. So what's going to be the deal with Cam, Cam Newton? Because I know he's Superman, and I know he's got a body that looks like it's chiseled directly from stone, but he can't put up with, with these kind of hits for much longer. I actually heard that exact same thing about Deshaun Watson today because he's getting hit a lot too. So, and he's young, so that, that begs the question of, you know, how, how many years can he take this kind of beating as a young player? And I think quarterbacks like Cam Newton and Deshaun Watson, you have to look at, at that more because – they're mobile guys, and they're guys who are very confident in their game and willing to sit in the pocket for a lot longer because they think they can scramble out, or they just think they trust in the process, they trust in their receivers, and they're going to sit there for longer, and eventually that does catch up to you. So you really you have to wonder how that's going to factor into you know maybe a potential early retirement. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I hope we keep get to keep them around for a lot longer because they're really fun to watch. So I hope this does not become the norm in the NFL. Yeah, me too. Is- this is just devastating talent-wise. We hate to see guys like Andrew Luck, who's a potentially a generational talent, go out with an injury. Not just a injury, but a, a wide range of injuries. And Cam Newton, this is all speculation, of course, but if it does end up going that way, you'd hate to see that because he is an otherworldly talent. We saw it at Auburn. We loved him. Very charismatic, always smiling. It's, uh, it's good for the game of football, and you'd hate to see a guy like that go out. Amen to that. 
On the other side of the break, we got uh, your weekly, what is it, facts, information. It's your segment. This week in history. This week in history, yeah, sorry. And we got our uh, Who's Your Daddy of the Week, NBA talk, ISO Joe Johnson in a Pistons uniform. We'll be right back with that. We are back, segment two of the Trial Run podcast, and we are here with maybe your least favorite segment of the entire show. It is This Week in History with your boy, Brennan Bevins, and you can have at it. I know you, you love the story that you're about to tell. It's good to be back. For This Week in History, we're taking it all the way back to 1883, where Hugh Daly, otherwise known as one Arm Daly, for reasons that should now be obvious, threw a no-hitter against none other than the Philadelphia Quakers. And frankly, Nate, this is hands down the craziest story I've ever heard in my entire life. What the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what in the absolute hell was that? It was pretty punny is what I think it was. That was, that was terrible. Well done on the read. I know you spent, you, you, know, you spent all of five seconds during the break typing up that sentence for yourself. So very good work by you. Excellent job. Thank you very much. You know, you know what I think is funnier than one-armed Hugh Daly? Do tell. The Pistons signing 95-year-old Joe Johnson to a, what is a one-year deal, uh, directly out of the big three league, the three-on-three ice cube, fake basketball league where he was the MVP. What are your thoughts on the signing? Because is this going to mean anything for the Pistons down the line? He's whatever. How old is he? I'm going to look it up. You filibuster. I'll tell you what. I like it. I like this. I think that you should take a lesson from what my old high school football coach used to say, and you need to stop. Turn turn the page. You need to stop drinking the haterade right now. Joe Johnson's a very solid three-point shooter, which is exactly what the Pistons need. I can see now on your on your screen he is 38 years old. He's 38 which, year old. He's 38 years old or allegedly 38 years old. Now I want you to take a look at his face and tell me he's any younger than 65. Yeah, that's um that's he, that's an aged wise face look is at what this. I'm looking look, at. Look at this. Look at him. Uh, I think you guys can just imagine it in your head right now or maybe go look Please it up Google yourself. Joe Johnson, I dare you. If you he want to just laugh. he you know what? The Pistons are a team that need three-point shooting, which is why he provides. And maybe the veteran presence will help. Who knows? What are the Pistons? They just signed Derrick Rose, who is literally on his last legs after losing, after lo- having multiple major injuries, the ACL tears, everything that's happened to him. Now they signed Joe Johnson. Their net age of their roster must be 55 years old. It's unreal. Yeah, but see, this is what sells tickets. This is what sells tickets because the, the, the Pistons fans love Derrick Rose. The entire NBA loves Derrick Rose. They love that signing. It's great. And Joe Johnson just adds more depth to a team that needs three-point shooting, like I said. So it's a win-win-win for everyone around except for you, apparently. We have Luke Kennard, excellent three-point shooter. And that's it. We have, uh, we have Reggie Jackson, who is <laughs> actively stealing money from the Pistons. Yes, Reggie Jackson. We also have uh, Andre Drummond, who's been working on his game this offseason, who will also be at Wayside tonight here on Central Michigan's beautiful wow, campus. That's that's breaking news right there. That's an absolute plug for me. Yeah, it's just I, I, I understand the, the rationale behind it, but we couldn't have got a guy who's not 95 years old. Like, is that just too much to ask from the Pistons? It's 
you know how I feel about this. He's ISO Joe Johnson for reason. He's a ball stopper, and he's going to take every shot. As soon as he touches the ball, it's not going to anybody else. So I just want to put that on the record and let everybody know how I feel. So when this crashes and burns poorly in the regular season, everybody knows exactly who said it first. Put it on the poll. Is Joe Johnson the most boring name of a sports athlete you've ever heard in your entire life? Ooh, that's a great question. Think about it, because, like, usually, like— Matt Ryan? Yeah, but, like, big-name athletes, like, maybe they have generic names, but they at least have names that, like, pop for some reason or another, like Cam Newton, Fig Newton— like it just like makes sense. Jameis Winston is not an unusual or not a usual name. Just Joe Johnson. That's like Joe, the most common name. Johnson, the most common last name. It's just a combination of no good. I mean, there's lots of there's obviously lots of names in sports that you could qualify as generic. I need to look some of these up because I really want to know now. I feel like there's a lot more generic names than Joe Johnson. Is, is, there, this, is there a John Johnson? Joe Johnson just sounds like a guy who'd be working at the DMV. I mean, he sounds like your local trash man is what he sounds right, like. Right, exactly. I, I don't know. There was a John Johnson for the Los Angeles Rams who used to play football. How about that? Yeah, but he's not like a big name. Is there like a what's – a, what's the most basic name? Joe Smith? Joe Smith, yeah. Maybe like a – there he is. A Bob Smith. Oh, hell yeah. There Look at Bob Smith. Let's see if there's a Bob Smith. There was a Joe Smith. He played for multiple different teams throughout an NBA career. I think you're proving yourself wrong here, or at least I'm proving you wrong, because I don't think I Joe think it's, Johnson... I think it's just an interesting uh, point to bring up. I don't think I could think of anything that's actually least interesting, or I, less interesting than that. I digress. I mean, you already did it, so you, you said <laughs> what you had to say. Um, another big sports story that actually came out today, Sean Livingston, uh, big guy off the, the Warriors bench, mid-range game unconscious. Everybody knows who he is. The Warriors essentially made him famous. He's made a name for them. He retired after 15 NBA seasons. How instrumental was he in making the Warriors what they are today? Because I honestly don't think the Warriors would be what they were today if they didn't have that kind of bench depth, and Sean Livingston was a key piece of that. I couldn't agree more, and... Just off first to start off, I will say Sean Livingston is far and away my favorite Warrior of all time. I really hated the Warriors. I didn't like any of them really. But drinking the haterade. Fair enough. Touche. But Sean Livingston, he just always I don't know why. I really don't know why. He just struck me as a guy that was very likable and he played his role perfectly on that team. He provided valuable minutes when other guys were injured or needed a breather. He could come in at the one or the two or sometimes even the three, and he could always hit a mid-range bucket whenever you needed it. He couldn't really hit the long ball, but he could hit a mid-range like no one else. Yeah, that's fantastic analysis by you, but I wanted to just tell you right now, I can tell you exactly why you like Sean Livingston, because you know his story. You know of a season, uh, possibly a career-ending injury, with uh, a leg injury when he was with the Clippers, almost had his leg amputated. Like, it was just... A horrific event on his part and then you know everything that he's done to work his way back win a couple championships with the Warriors do everything that he did for that franchise I distinctly remember him going off and I believe it was like a game two of maybe 2015 or 2016 one of those series one of the series where the the major stars weren't showing up and he went in there got them buckets and gave them a performance of a lifetime and that's probably one of the you know the cornerstones of his career he is the basically the foundational piece of what makes NBA basketball great He's your nose to the grindstone bench player coming off. He's not your superstar, but he's a guy that you need on your team if you're going to be competitive in this league. I'll tell you something else that I just remembered, and this is, I think, far and away the most valuable point brought up here today. 
I used to play NBA 2K6, and Sean Livingston was my go-to guy in the Clippers. He had a nice fro, and I balled out with him. We had buckets for days, and we won every single championship every year. Yeah, he'd give you an absolute bucket in the mid-range, I'm sure. Especially in 2006, because that's when he was an up-and-coming guy before the leg injury, and like everyone was you know, talking about Sean Livingston. But really, in more serious terms, the sad part about this is that the Warriors, of course, I, I don't blame the Warriors for this because it is a business, but they waived him right at the well, end. they of cut the- ties with him and Iguodala, who were potentially... I mean, they they may represent the Warriors even more than guys like Steph and Clay do. And and my point in that being is they waived him, and I f- could see Sean Livingston kind of just going quietly into the night. And when they revisit the Warriors dynasty, they don't really talk about Sean Livingston in that mix. They're going to talk about Draymond. They're going to talk about KD, and they're going to talk about Steph and Clay Thompson. But like I don't, I just don't know if Sean Livingston is gonna get that love. So I'm here right now giving Sean Livingston as much love as he can get. We just, you know, we just rambled about how good things happened and you know, hunky dory, everything's beautiful. Now let's talk about something that's not quite as beautiful. How about your team USA losing in the FIBA World Cup? They lost two games consecutively, actually, to France and Serbia, and uh, you know, two L's. They're gonna finish seventh, I believe. Is this embarrassing for the United States of America? Because this does not seem like an event that we should be losing. It's pretty embarrassing. Although I will say this. Obviously, it's different since the United States didn't have their, you know, premier talent that they usually put into international games. A lot of NBA stars said they didn't want to play on this year's team. And really, they, the United States assembled a team of decent at best NBA players. A lot of young players. But... The international talent has been growing more and more. I will say that. So whereas before you would have, you know, guys you'd never heard of going up against these stars like LeBron and, you know, players like that. Now it's a little bit more evenly matched. You've got the Joe Ingles, the Rudy Gobert's, you know, players like like Gasol went off for Spain. Right. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Players like that are actually, you know, representing their other countries now. So it. At the very least, it makes it more interesting. Obviously, like I said, if the United States had you know, played the caliber of talent that we're used to seeing, there would have been no competition. But it at least makes it a little bit less embarrassing, I guess. But I personally think it's more embarrassing for the guys who chose not to go. Like It's, just, yeah. it's absurd to me to think that you wouldn't represent your country. And I understand the workload thing. You want to elongate your career in the NBA where you're actually getting paid money. I get all that. I remember a conversation we had about two weeks ago on the show where you made fun of me for saying that the players should uh, represent their country. Because remember I said that they would get paid in freedom dollars, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I really don't take inventory of what I say most of the time. So <laughs> Just spew it I'm, out I'm just going to say what, I wanna, what I'm feeling right now. And I'm saying that, LeBron, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, amen to that. We yeah. can get behind that. Anytime I can shame LeBron James, I take advantage of that. Guess what? LeBron, you should be ashamed of yourself. Everybody should be ashamed of themselves who said no. C.J. McCollum, you wonder who made me the most mad about this? I'm going to go off for a second. C.J. McCollum. You think you're so high and muddy because you're not going to go play for Team USA and you want your proper rest and workload. Give me a break, dude. What have you ever won? What have you ever done in your entire life? Nothing. You have won nothing. You've had riding. You've been riding Damian Lillard's coattails for this long. Everybody says that the Portland Trailblazers have the best backcourt in the NBA, all this. They think they're better than Steph, Clay, all their backcourts. It's absurd to me. CJ McCollum, we're going to pump the brakes on him also. I've said that three times in the show about three different things. We're going to pump the brakes on CJ McCollum. I'm tired of him. Get him out of here. Wow, that was fiery. I love to see that. 
This is terrible. I mean, come on, give me a break. <laughs> give me a, give me a break, CJ McCall. Let's talk about college football for a hot minute. In an interview, this is potentially the biggest storyline we've ever heard in all of college football. We hear a lot about Nick Saban all the time. He's a ball buster. He's a guy nose to the grindstone. He never wants to hear any nonsense. He's a uh, he's a pros pro, if you will. Um, blue collar guy, old fella. He's everything. He's everything you'd see in a in a white old football coach that wins a lot. And uh, but this this might be the most interesting Nick Saban factoid I've ever heard in my entire life. In an interview with current Oakland Raiders running back and Alabama alum Josh Jacobs, it was discovered that Nick Saban, you ready for this? I'm ready. Has a passion for these nuts jokes. You absolutely love to see Drop that. Drop the mic. You love to see that. I love the man. Uh, I think that this just kind of goes to show that you have to be a little mentally deranged to be an elite coach. And, you know, we really didn't know what that was with Nick Saban. I mean, he, you know, he gets mad at reporters every once in a while. But I think we found his, uh, his insanity a little bit a little bit elevated after this recent report. So that I guess that explains why he's such a good coach. I think this puts guys like Mike Leach on the hot seat, don't you think? Oh, I yeah. Mean, Mike Leach, is, his, his calling card in this profession is to be just an absolute goof and a guy who, you know, kind of goes out there, says what he wants to say, just says preposterous things, makes a fool of himself. If I could get Nick Saban to make one these nuts jokes to the public, my life would be entirely complete and I could, I could die happily. Yeah, amen to that. Mike Leach is a crackhead. So honestly, by the crackhead standard, Mike Leach should be the greatest coach of all time. So maybe it's a little bit of a flaw. Oh, he's right up there. (laughs) He's absolutely right up there. NCAA football, is it going to be back? We just talked about in the introduction to this show, California legislator passing a law saying uh, that students could make money off their own likeness, which is basically the main thing that was standing in the way of, of new NCAA football video games. The Fair Pay Act is what it's called. College athletes, the NCAA is saying that uh, college athletes in Cali could have their um, scholarships taken away potentially. But uh, I don't know. What what do you make of this? Because there's a lot of mixed feelings about this. Obviously, the uh, the NCAA is going to have some pretty strong feelings, potentially ruling players ineligible if um, their universities allow them to make money off their own likeness. What do you make of this? Because I think we're on the same wavelength here, but let's just, let's just check to find out. <laughs> well... To use your saying once more, I think everyone involved in this whole conversation just needs to pump the brakes because the governor has, of California has not even signed this bill into law yet. So that has to happen firsthand. And second of all, even if it was signed into law, it wouldn't take it wouldn't come into effect until 2023. So we have a while. We have a while to sort these things out. Uh, but in terms of the bill itself, if it is what it says it is and it just allows players to receive compensation for their for their image and likeness i'm all for it i'm totally on board with that i think that it's high time that players finally were able to to profit off of their own image i don't think that paying players straight up is the way to go i just think that it would make the already rich colleges even better because players would just go to their them and i think tim tebow brought up a good point today that he, he really was saying that he was against this bill, and he said that paying college football players would cause, uh, you know, the joy, what we really love from college football to be taken out of the game because players would be focused more on money 
than on uh, than on actually just playing as a team, playing for their school, all of the passion that goes into that. And that would be true if they had to worry about contracts. The players would have to worry about contracts and you know who to sign with, who to go, what school to go to. But if it just comes down to making money off of their own image and likeness, no matter where those players go, they're going to get the same equivalent of money. So that wouldn't even factor in in that perspective. Yeah, nobody's saying that we're going to pay them. We're going to hand them a paycheck every week. Like that's just not how it's going to go. I, if, if anyone who agrees with that, I think that's just flat out wrong. Yeah, you want to pay players. You want to give them the ability. I think it's inhumane to not give somebody the ability to make money off their own image and make money off their own hard work. So I think that's it's a rather ridiculous argument. Tim Tebow saying that it will take the joy out of the game. I understand that a little bit, but on the flip side. I don't think uh, I don't think giving somebody money for doing something they love is any ever taken joy right. with anything. To be honest with you, no. I think the the marquee case that always pops up in my mind. I think it was three years ago. Uh, UCF kicker uh, was making YouTube videos, just showing off his kicking ability, doing some fun things, and he was making some money off of it because you can do that on YouTube. And the NCAA said you either stop making these videos or you're no longer allowed to play college football. He said, I'm going to keep making these videos. And so he literally was not allowed to play college football anymore. And that type Which is of thing, absolutely ridiculous. Th- yeah, right. That type of thing is just a, insane to me. Like, what other person is not allowed to make money with the talents that they have? I don't know. It's ridiculous to me. I, no one is even advocating here for the schools themselves to pay the players. Yeah. It, it just comes down to those players being able to make the money for themselves. You have written on our, our show sheet here. What do you think, uh, or do you think this will cause players to flood Cal- California schools because they'll be able to make money off their own likeness? I'm going to be honest with you. I think there's going to be a lot of states following suit. South Carolina did today, if you saw that. And that's huge because Clemson is in South Carolina. Exactly, which is, that's big. And then, you know, once we get the snowball rolling here, it's going to be, um, it's going to grow larger and larger. More and more states will become a part of that. And then uh, once you get a certain amount of states, it'll be hard to keep other states from doing the same. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to be a major issue personally because I think this is going to happen relatively quickly with a lot of other states. I totally agree. But if for some reason other schools or other states do get scared by this and it's only California that goes along with it, even against the NCAA's wishes, if you have Urban Meyer going to USC, which has been rumored, if you have that taking place – Oh my gosh! Like the state of California, is crooked just, urban, crooked. You're just yeah. gonna have you're gonna have one of the best college football coaches of all time in California, and then now players are able to get money. It it's gonna be just a stockpile of talent in that state. Going away from something that might happen to something that already did happen. Week two recap: uh, Our boys, uh, our Central Michigan ship was and not fare very well over in Madison, Wisconsin, losing by uh, <clears throat> by sixty one points. Yeah, that uh, that was not ideal. At not all. not ideal, and it's gotten worse because Central has lost Dormandy, the starting quarterback, and Jonathan Ward. And I will say, I will say for those who keep uh, keep tabs on us on Twitter and Instagram, who broke the story of Dormandy getting hurt? I just for the record. Oh, we did one hundred percent. We broke that story. So uh, if you see it anywhere, if you see it on ESPN, Sports Illustrated, anywhere, and uh, it doesn't have credit towards us. Uh, we're gonna sue. Send it our way, so we can sue. We'll make millions off of it, and that easily. will propel us forward. So I just wanted to say that for the record. Very easily. Uh, going down south, about two hours from here, Ann Arbor. Is it time to push the? Uh, is it time to smash the panic button? I should say on your Michigan Wolverines after their abysmal performance against Army. 
barely squeaking out in overtime. Really, Army controlled the entire game, should have easily won that game if their coach had half a brain to kick a field goal when it mattered. Anything that's happened, uh, everything that happened in that game led up to Army winning that game, and Michigan pulled it out, which is what good teams do, I'll give you that. But to have a performance like they did against Middle Tennessee State in Week 1, a performance like they did against Army in Week 2, and now a very stellar, and I know they're stellar because they just beat Central Michigan, a very stellar Wisconsin team, they're going to be going on the road to Madison. Is it time to button mash the panic button? I am panicking and I am concerned about Michigan football, but honestly, it's not because of that Army game. The Army game, they held Army to the least amount of yards per carry that Army's had since 2015. So I understand that people would have liked to see you know, Michigan go up against an unranked team in Army and take the W there, but Remember, Army went 11-2 and last year, and one of their losses was in overtime to Oklahoma. So Army is a very solid team, even if they aren't ranked. They're a very good team, and people always have trouble with service academies. The game that scares me the most was that Middle Tennessee State game, the first game you mentioned. The offense, while new, didn't show the flashes that we were hoping from this quote-unquote speed and space that Josh Gaddis is bringing to Michigan. So I really think that Michigan has a bye week this week, but I think that next week against Wisconsin, we're really going to see what Michigan is made of, made of and if we really should be pan- pushing the panic button at this point. Did Michigan get the wrong uh, Alabama assistant coach and Josh Gaddis? Uh, that is the question. Because have you seen what Maryland's offense has been doing underneath another Alabama offensive assistant? Mike Loxley, man. Mike Loxley is crazy. I'm so happy you remembered his name because I was just winging that. Day. I was <laughs> hoping to God that you knew his name. I completely forgot. No, no. Maryland is actually elite, and they have Josh Jackson coming over from Virginia Tech. So, wow. How terrified are you of that game after, after the Notre Dame game that's coming up on October 26th that we'll be at? Our press pass has got denied, by the way, which is a, a story for a different time. That's terrible. But... Yeah, Maryland looking absolutely elite offensively. I'll tell you, be a good game for Michigan and a good test for oh, their defense, especially. It terrifies me. I saw a tweet the other day that Michigan has, with the addition of Maryland now, seven ranked teams they have to play still left on their schedule. So I'm the shit- most in college football. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of shitting my pants over here, and Maryland is no exception to that because Mike Loxley he's taken Maryland and at least to this point in the season they look like the real deal. I mean, they beat the second best team in the ACC. Yeah. 63 to, I think, 21 was the final score. That's that's outrageous. That's crazy. You know, from one surprise team on one coast to another surprise team on the, uh, the other coast, California, the University of California, their defense, their defense, especially their secondary, looking very solid. I've heard them, uh, I've heard ESPN talk about it a little bit, but I'm sure we'll hear more about it in college game day tomorrow. They've looked very solid, potentially multiple NFL caliber defensive backs, so... That's another thing to look out for in the Pac-12. If we're talking about um, a team or a Pac-12 that's pretty much wide open when you think about it. Washington, I believe, losing last week. Oregon losing to Auburn. You know, it's a it's a wide open conference. I don't think Utah's really that dominant. So yeah, I know. And, and California actually beat Washington this past week, and they held Jacob Eason, who's this highly touted quarterback, for to he, they held him to 18 for 30 throwing and 160 yards and an interception. So that's pretty impressive because we know that Washington has been an established team. We've seen that in years past, and Jacob Eason is better than Jake Browning, in my opinion, the former quarterback for Washington. So, is that a hot take? I, I mean, you can put that on the poll too, but I think so. 
but that just shows that California's defense actually does look pretty legit, especially that secondary. Lots of week three games coming up. Some going on actually right now, but major action tomorrow. Can't wait. Looking looking forward to that. Is there anything in particular you're looking forward to for tomorrow? Because I have a little bit. Uh, I have a few games. I'm really really keen to to watching tomorrow. Uh, first one I'm looking forward. I think it's at noon to Ohio State Indiana. It seems oh, you would. It seems like it's yeah. It seems like it'd be a blowout in Ohio State's favor. But remember the past couple of years. Ohio State always seems to lose to a mid to lower tier Big Ten team that usually doesn't come until October, but Indiana strikes me as that type of team who can hang around with the big boys even though they you know usually lose in the Big Ten. So look for that potential upset. I'm hoping they won't, but I'm hoping, so that's my first one. Uh, mine is absolutely UCF Stanford. Stanford, the Stanford Cardinal going all the way to Orlando to, to play the UCF in the bounce house. Oh my. As a... As a group of five homer, I really, really, really want to see UCF beat up on a program like Stanford, who I don't know if we call them a powerhouse, but they're certainly a high-level power five team over their history with guys like Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw as their head coaches. This is a game that I want to see. I want to see the bounce house absolutely going berserk, and I want to see a group of five dominating performance over a team like Stanford. I'm with you there. Uh, another game I'm really looking forward to is the the game day game, which is Iowa State and Iowa. It just seems that whenever Iowa teams, uh, even when there's only one Iowa team, in, team involved, but especially when there's both, it just seems that things get crazy and you can kind of throw all things out the window. Iowa teams, you never know what you're going to expect, so I'm looking forward to that one. And then a couple more, Michigan State, Arizona State. Last year that was a pretty good game. They're bringing it back to East Lansing this year. I think we're going to really see a little bit more what Michigan State is made of and see what Herm Edwards can do in year two. And then finally for me, Kentucky, I'm just looking to see if they can win two straight against Florida. And everyone's bashing Mark Stoops in Kentucky because, you know, they are they think that last year was just an anomaly and they can't repeat it. But I guess we'll see. This Florida game is going to be a good test for them. So I'd love to see them win two straight against Florida. Anytime the SEC can beat up on themselves, it's great for me. Yeah, the game that I'm really looking forward to watching the end to as soon as we get done with this podcast is Kansas versus Boston College, which is currently <laughs> in the third quarter. Kansas has a 14-point lead over a good Boston College team, uh, fresh off a loss to Coastal Carolina last week. So Les Miles got the boys rolling tonight. Really looking forward to that. Chewing grass. Yeah, absolutely looking forward to that. And, uh, I, you know, there's just a lot of good things happening. The Iowa-Iowa State game definitely comes to mind as something that's really interesting. It's Iowa is the state that no ranked team ever wants to go into with, with championship aspirations. I can, I can say that from experience as a Michigan fan. Yeah, I, Duncan Keith was that the quarter or the kicker for Iowa that broke the hearts of Michigan fans I, everywhere just a few years ago. I don't want to know. But other games that I'm looking forward to, uh, USC-BYU. USC a minus four favorite in that one. Uh, yeah, so four-point favorite, BYU four-point dog. That's a game that I think... We're going to see what USC is made of because despite beating Stanford last week, I don't have much confidence in what they can do without JT Daniels as their starting quarterback. And they're currently ranked, if you can believe that. I don't actually After that. everything that's happened this week, they're ranked number 24. They're going to uh, face BYU on the road. Ooh. Yeah, that's that a, adds a new element to that's it. That's what I'm saying. That's going to be... A, the Mormons are going to go crazy. For yeah, the Mormons going ape all over the place. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, lots of good games. We'll be tuned in from 9 a.m. until about midnight tomorrow. We're not going to miss any of the action. Amen. Couldn't put it better. 
We're going to wrap up today's show with how we wrap up every show nowadays with your who is your daddy of the week. I'll let you go first. You are probably going to be panicking because I don't think you have anything written down. So unless you have something churning in that head of yours, then uh, you might be in trouble. There's always something churning in this head of mine. So for my daddy of the week, I have the state of California over the NCAA because I think they really have been pissing their pants right now. So California's NCAA's daddy of the week. Yeah, my daddy, my who's your daddy of the week, the Detroit Lions are the daddy of the Detroit Lions. <laughs> that's an excellent. And that's the absolute truth because the Lions <laughs> single-handedly blew the game for themselves against the Arizona Cardinals, giving up an 18-point fourth quarter lead and eventually tying in the overtime. You can see my heart rate elevating. Everything's happening right now. And if they don't beat the Chargers, I'm going to scream this Sunday goodbye. One pride, baby. Yes, yeah, so this has been the Dry Run Podcast.